I'm Jamie Hurst, and for the MSU Denver Alumni Association, we're excited to bring you Bird Talk, a podcast about our alumni, their careers, and their lives. My name is kind of funny. Most people don't recognize it, but third graders do. John Stalls, bathroom, Bath- bathroom. bathroom. Yep. So it's like I, I get walk it. I into was the Jamie cl- Worst for it's a long okay. time. Okay, <laughs> so we have these little yeah. wounds right, right. that we're working out. Today's guest is Jonathan Stalls. Jonathan is a 2009 graduate of MSU Denver, studying design and entrepreneurship as a part of the Individualized Degree Program. In 2010, Jonathan and his Husky Kanoa completed a 242-day walk across the United States, which offered him a whole new way of moving through the world. Upon his return, he founded Walk to Connect in 2012, a business that trained community members, public officials, and nonprofit leaders how to become walking leaders. In 2016, Jonathan launched a new project aimed at drawing attention to pedestrian mobility and existing constraints. The project, Pedestrian Dignity, focused on people who use their feet, wheelchairs, or public transit to get around. He took it to TikTok in 2021, and the platform's emphasis on localized content has enabled Jonathan to connect with policy influencers and decision makers. Now considered a walking artist, Jonathan founded Intrinsic Path a multidisciplinary project focused on artistic expression and unhurried movement, whose projects range from detailed pen art, walking events, walkbook gatherings, pedestrian dignity organizing, meditative practices, long-distance walking, and much more. In 2022, Jonathan released his first book, Walk, Slow Down, Wake Up, and Connect at 1 to 3 miles per hour, a book for those who crave to feel and embody, not just know and study, their way through complex themes like vulnerability, human dignity, presence, mystery, and resistance. Featured at TEDx Youth at Mile High and recognized by MSU Denver as a statement maker, Jonathan is a celebrated speaker. He's a lifelong artist, cares deeply about human connection, personal and planetary healing, racial and environmental justice, LGBTQIA2S plus belonging and nature wisdom. He's our absolute favorite road walker, and we're so happy to have you, Jonathan. Thank you. I love it. I'm so excited Honored to say to Red here. Walker. Yes, that felt so good. <laughs> I, know. I feel like as I was writing this, I was like, we should create a walking program for our alums. We should call it Road Walking. We can have you come every once in a while. Right. Teach us all the things we got to do. So Ruby put that on the list of things to do. Yay. I'm here for it. All of it. Awesome. Well, we are so excited to have you. Thank you so much for joining us. Bird Talk has been such a fun way for us to get to know a little bit more about our alums. I know you've been in our kind of zeitgeist for years. I think we met 10 years ago at an alumni event where you received an award right when you came back from walking. Um, But you've been all around and all over, and we're so thrilled to have you. I'm honored to be here. Love that you're doing the podcast, and I love this campus. So any excuse to just come back and breathe it in, I love it. So I'm honored. Good. Well, we're so excited. We're going to cover a bunch of things today. I don't want to be super redundant because I know you've done 10 years of media about your gigantic walk, but we would be remiss to not speak about it. So we will get to it. Um, But I'm really interested in how you got to where that became a big part of your life. And so we talk a lot here about MSU Denver, our flexibility in meeting people on their zigzaggy paths. And as I was doing my research on you, you have one hell of a zigzaggy path. <laughs> Very. Yes. My gosh. I was <laughs> sitting here. I'm like, okay, you're born in Tampa yeah. uh, to a dad that played in the NFL. So you bounced between Florida, California, Colorado. Then your parents split. You move across the country, Wisconsin, Tennessee, West Virginia, came back here for high school, ended up at UNC to play basketball, which I love, stayed there for a year. Then we're like, nah, I'm out. (laughs) Southern California, semi-professional sand volleyball player. Then Ireland in 2005, (laughs) because why not? Let's just throw in some ministry at this point and see what we're going to do there. Back to SoCal and then MSU Denver. Mm -hmm. I don't know what's more tiring, thinking about that or the <laughs> 10 year ago, you know, 2242 mile walk. That is yeah. incredible. I mean, obviously, we know how the logistics of that happened, but what did that feel like as somebody? I would imagine a lot of traveling in cars and planes, and now as a walking artist, like, just tell me everything. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. The winding paths emerging in all directions, it, it feels that way all the time. And what I love about just kind of skipping ahead to being a, multidisciplinary walking artists now. It's like it allows a lot of those diverging experiments, trying things on. It just feels like I can really make that a part of my work and informing my art. That makes sense now, right? It just like aligns. Whereas I was, I think I was always chasing different things and trying to close old doors and open new ones. And so integrating it now feels really good. But yeah, I mean, moving and growing up, parents split when they divorced, uh, when they split, you know, we, we moved every two years. I went to 14 different schools Jeez. growing up. I had this experience 
where I'm starting over, literally getting to know new kids, getting teased a lot for being a new student. I, for, for years, I was having to navigate fitting in. Uh, in all of that change, I'm adapting, I'm trying to fit in, but I'm also resorting to my artwork, my sketchbooks, uh, kind of roaming and getting lost in the woods wherever we lived. I had a dog at the time that you know I was always connecting to. So animal connection, nature connection, artwork, was these were escapes. These helped me to just create worlds that were just maybe more healthy than some than so much transition sure. and chaos at times. But to the other side of that, I you know, I learned a lot of skills and adapting quickly to new environments, to opening my heart and my world to different kinds of people. I mean, this was, as you said, rural West Virginia, rural Wisconsin, urban Denver, um, the suburbs in between it all. I, so, so much transition informing so many things. Well, and I yeah. can't imagine, it sounds like a lot of your escapes are much more on the artistic side. And as a kid in a new space, and especially as a boy in the 80s and 90s, that yeah. couldn't have been easy too. There's so many predispositions of like, oh, well, that guy's weird because he does this and doesn't just toss a football around. Exactly. And, you know, you add to that for my, you know, upbringing and experience. I mean, I'm extremely sensitive. I cry at the drop of a hat and I get angry at the drop of a hat. <laughs> and I'm, I'm fiery. I get sad. I, I, I jump around and I dance when I'm joyful. So I feel things deeply. So there's that aspect, but also being, you know, gay and queer, like I've known since I was in sixth, seventh grade. So I'm in all these moves and transitions while I'm trying to move and listen to something that feels really terribly difficult a lot of the time because it's mostly kept on the inside. And so all of that happening in these transitional seasons, uh, it, it, it needed places to go, Yeah, you know, it needed outlets. And so, you know, art for a big reason was one of them, um, sports and moving my body became one of them. And then, you know, the story unfolds. <laughs> right. So. I mean, and it, it is funny. I mean, it goes back to that idea of everything. If you look at things so definitively as a door opening and a door shutting, it doesn't make sense. But yeah. when we start thinking about it through this lens of motion and articulate the feelings that we have, it makes so much sense for how your life has come together so far. Absolutely. And that's got to be a good feeling because most of us are sitting here. I'm 41 years old sitting here like, when's it all going to kind of make sense for me? <laughs> like I got a lot of pieces, you know, the puzzle, like I've built the outside of the puzzle, but it's like, hmm, how's that going to work? You know? And so that's got to be a nice and kind of freeing feeling to say, no, this is coming together. And, and you've given a name to what you've always been. You're now this walking artist with that. Yeah. Most of us, I read that and I was like, hmm. <laughs> and I even listened to a podcast you were on. And the very first question the host asked was like, so what does that mean? What does that mean? And it's like, so I don't want to be redundant in that. But what I love about it is it's going to mean something to you. But if someone else decides that, hey, that resonates with me and that's a space I can be and we can start infusing this idea of our outlets and our processing and, and the way that we think about art into anything that we do. That's right. A little bit of context too. Most of the tension and pressure growing up, again, moving every two years, being teased a lot, being gay, not being out, being really sensitive. Lots of these things were building in me. There were a lot of hard things in family dynamics as well. Add that to the pile. And it was a ticking time bomb for this body, for my body. And I needed an experience that would recalibrate everything. I, it was coming to, you know, there were significant edges, dark edges, like where I wasn't sure I'd make it through. For me, it came with a lot of hard, hard at the bottom of the barrel, nights, weeks, months. I mean, we're talking deep depression, mm -hmm. dark stuff. So coming out of that slowly, um, not knowing what was next, you know, my time here at MSU Denver was a huge part of that. Just, all right, I'm going to just start taking classes again. I'm going to start opening towards the world again, you know, coming out of that dark season and then knowing still that the classes are really good. The teachers are amazing here. The campus energy is good, but I still need an experience that's going to, I want to recalibrate. If I'm going to live this life now <laughs> yeah. at, at, in my mid twenties, and if I'm going to start over, then in a sense, it felt like starting over again, <laughs> but with a whole new code rule book, I, you know, I wanted, I wanted a recalibration and I wanted to feel my ground. And so that's when this walk across the country really showed up. It was like, this isn't just, oh, this is an adventure. No, this is medicine. This is connected to my own survival. This is putting in new algorithms, new teachers, the teachers of nature, of stranger, of moving my body the way I'm made to. So this was about letting go and shedding stories that 
were no longer helpful and that were harming me and inviting new stories and new people and new energy. So when I left on this long walk, you know, people are like, oh, you, you know, how cool, how many long walks? I'm like, I had never done anything like this. Right. My backpack was 95 pounds. If now, if you did it again, it wouldn't be 95 pounds. I mean, I had no idea. So it it speaks to like, ah, like there's an ache on the inside that's bursting at the seams. I need to start over and recalibrate. So I'd share that just as like some context. You know, I feel really grounded, not always imperfectly in my work now. It took some serious cuts and ties and and recalibrating to get to that place. Yeah. I feel like that's not a natural skill many of us have, especially I love what you said about kind of shedding the stories that were no longer relevant. Oof, we yeah. are so informed by what we hear, whether yes. it's the communities we're in, the media that hear, what, there's constant information overload that's happening. Right. And what I'm learning too is some of the stories that you hear that are just being regurgitated and they're on repeat are no longer true. They're no longer relevant. They may have lived in some ounce of truth at some point, but we've become so familiar with it that it's just easier to believe them. And so that had to have been such a freeing skill. And was it something, I guess, that you had to be disciplined to force yourself to to be able to say, that's not an absolute. There are very few absolutes that we have. And now I'm going to invite this stuff. Yeah, that's a great question. And (laughs) still fumbling in that space every day. But there is something about bringing that kind of tension and those questions into the body for 242 days to walk with, move with, ache with all these things. And, you know, there was some intention. It wasn't just, oh, I'm going to drop off and just walk. Like I was seeking, I was hungry for new teachers. I really looked to the trees for guidance and wisdom. I looked to the rivers and the streams. I looked to the people who stand and wait for buses that aren't coming every two hours for wisdom around who are we? Where do I fit into all this? Moving through the high desert. You know, I have a great UFO story at the end of the book. (laughs) (laughs) That's related to mystery and the things that are unexplainable. And I think that this practice of walking or moving our bodies alongside of letting things go and recalibrating, whatever that means for us with our own pace, with our own story, it doesn't need to be a walk across the U.S. It can be in our own backyards, but bringing it into somatic, bringing it into our legs and our feet and our, our participation with movement, that has become so clear to me related to this being medicine for how we try to do that. Well, yeah. I mean, you think about our, our bodies, like evolutionary, right? We're starting tens, thousands, how millions of years ago, you name it, right? Things weren't moving at the pace that they're moving now, right? right? And yeah. so that was what is so compelling to me about kind of your whole discipline in that space is that we were actually built to just be walking. Yeah. Even before horses and any other transportation that we had, we were meant to walk to those places, which also informs the way that we build our communities and yes. the way that we interact as people. We cannot do things on our own as one person, right? We have to have multiple people. That's why we always talk about the importance and value of, of you know, having the people around you that are going to support, uplift, and do all of those things. But the movement part is a new, unique way, for at least for me to think about it, that it's like, yeah, no, my body isn't supposed to be going 65 miles an hour down a highway or hundreds of miles an hour in the air. And when it's doing that, what am I missing? I'm missing all of those keys and things, the wisdom that comes from the trees, the, the thoughts, the opportunity to be insightful about something that I observe because I'm observing it as a blur instead of as something that's supposed to sink in. Oof. That's yes. fascinating. Dropping right? it. I know. Yes. No, have is. I gone out and taken a walk? No, I haven't. So there's <laughs> hey, still some barriers hey. I got to <laughs> gotta get on here. One step at a time. Literally. <laughs> right? <laughs> that is such a fascinating way to think about it. And I really don't know that there's a lot of conversation that's happening nationally about that. Do you find yourself kind of in your own box, really trying to push this message out? Yeah, I would say it, it feels like a small... Um, a narrow place right now, specifically with the work that I do around integrating the benefits of moving the way we're made to, whether that's on foot or on a wheelchair, Mm -hmm. unhurried through the world. Even if you're a car driver, this is, you know, a lot of the work that I do is not about car shaming, plane shaming. (laughs) It's just being intentional about something we're made to be doing Mm -hmm. for all the reasons, all the benefit. And then integrating that around a lot of the work that I do around mobility justice with the Pedestrian Dignity Project 
project where it's like, and also mm-hmm. how do we make moving the way we're made to dignify it, safe, right. accessible, just for the millions of people that can't drive mm-hmm. for all the reasons, legal, financial, medical, social, for all the reasons people would want to walk more and not drive every trip for all the reasons that in accountability to our planet and the climate and mental health and social, oh, yeah, all, all that, that, thing, I, that too, we yeah. shouldn't be <laughs> driving every single trip. Yeah. So integrating the real deep and profound but also simple and inherent benefit of moving the way we're made to with mobility justice. So integrating that feels like a very narrow space. There's a lot of good people working deeply in the benefits of walking for health as medicine. And there's a lot of really good people working and advocating for mobility justice, transportation systems that honor pedestrian activity. But to integrate those and to experiment how those two touch each other all the time, it's it feels like a narrow place. It doesn't. Yeah. And it feels counterintuitive to what we're being spoken to and how we're talked at at the societal level, right? It's all about efficiency and effectiveness. And what app can we add so that we can multitask more? Can I drive and listen to this podcast? So it seems very counterintuitive to how we're being taught right now, this story, the narrative that's out there about efficiency and effectiveness. And the reality is it's like, maybe that's not the story. Right. Absolutely. And it's why, you know, in the subtitle, the first thing in the subtitle is slowing down. It's walk but slow down, wake up and connect. So there's so many threads of slowing down. And I say that so imperfectly. Sure. <laughs> I, I'm a, a lot of times a fast walking bunny. Like I'm, I'm moving quickly in my mind a lot of the yeah. time. I'm jumping from project to project. I can miss the details all the time. So I literally need this as medicine, as an ongoing teacher. Being 41, I was raised in, you know, Born in 1982. In the Me scene. too. Okay. See, we know. You know. What they call us, Xennial? We're yeah, kind of we're, the, that, we're that cusp. We're that like, little cusp. Mm-hmm. And so the we're- The forgotten generation. Yes. So we literally grew up stirring like dirt in the backyard with a dinner bell at eight. Don't come home till free range, whatever. Correct. We don't want to see you till Correct. we need to feed you. And yet- We also grew up as the computer was being formed as cell phones. The main reason I was Mm -hmm. moving every two years was because my stepfather was in the cell phone industry, putting new cell phone Mm -hmm. towers in rural America. And so growing up with this tension constantly, you know, and and alongside a lot of my work with pedestrian dignity, doing content creation Mm -hmm. on Instagram, specifically in reels and doing work on TikTok with younger audiences, it's a constant accountability to just where we are, Mm -hmm. like how fast things are moving and how to nurture that and see that and meet people in that, but trying to also call us into those realms of slowing down. Don't forget the details, create practices that challenge the default. One of the sub areas in the book, there's all these little mini essays and one of them is titled the grief of bypassing, Hmm. you know, being with the grief, like what you described as the fog, (laughs) this foggy feeling. Every time I get in a car or in a plane, I'm feeling a grief of like, oh God, all the things, all the animals, all the water systems, all the air, all the trees, all the sunsets and sunrises that are calling out to us. Like, uh, you know, it's like, okay, but, but I got to get there. I got to get there. (laughs) I want to see this person. I want to go to the beach, you know, whatever the thing is. So a a constant tension. And I feel like the tension is really important because it doesn't dismiss the other so quickly. Yeah. I was reading that during your book tours, when you were out touring this, you would actually walk to the venue. So like you fly to New York or you fly (laughs) to Rhode Island and then walk from Rhode Island to New York. And I think that is the perfect example of what you're talking about. Like you're, it's not going to be a break of one thing completely because we're in a space that we haven't broken those narratives yet. But if we can find those ways to say, okay, there is this sense of urgency to do this, but I'm going to then get out of that fog, give myself that grace to then be able to experience something in that space, we can find a middle ground. That's right. Absolutely. You know, I think about one of the authors that I quote in my book, who I just love, Shane O'Mara, who's a neuroscientist, and he really breaks down in his book in praise of walking. And I love this book. But when we look at it from a scientific neurological perspective, too, it's like our brains and our neuro networks are made to be firing at an unhurried one to three mile per hour pace. Mm -hmm. After 20 minutes of walking or unhurried movement, you are creating new neural pathways, (laughs) And repeating that, everybody's listening, repeat (laughs) that back, pause, repeat it back to us, new neural pathways. So when we think about creativity, we think about 
innovation in complex political social discourse. We think about complexity in our relationships, complexity in discerning what classes to take, where to shift our degree, how, whatever the things that we're trying to juggle and discern, to literally use and intentionally bring walking in as a tool to help facilitate more space in our brains, more creativity, new neural pathways, instead of clinging to the old ones that really in some cases need to die off. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. Like there's just so many things that stack related to the why it's so important to be looking at this in new ways and to expand our understanding around something that can feel so basic as walking, but something that we're made to be doing for a lot of reasons. It's fascinating. And all of it makes sense. And that's why I sit here as not someone that's in the neuroscience space and listening to this, I'm like, well, all of that, it adds up. Why is it so hard to get that message out? Why is it so hard to... Yeah. Are we just combating society? Like, a, And I'm not expecting you to have an answer. That's just yeah. one of those rhetorical things of yeah. like, sometimes the easiest solutions that are right in front of us are the ones that we will put off till till we get to the point where we need to recalibrate and we are at the bottom of a barrel digging with our nails and scraping in. We don't think about the things that are right in front of our face that are in our control. I can get up and I can move. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. The things that I would say that feel tangible as some of the the why in terms of why this is so hard. And I think the first one is infrastructure. Like this is where I get really nerdy about urban planning and civil engineering. And when we're not curating and training our leaders, our, our planners, our engineers to constantly be held accountable to places and spaces and roads and transportation trips that center, not just like, Oh, fringe sidewalk project, but like center Mm -hmm. the mobility of an elder, a family, all of us being able to leave from where we live to go to a grocery store, go to the park, go to school, go home with dignity and safety and comfort. And oh my gosh, can it actually be enjoyable? Mm-hmm. Right. All of those layers around, well, does the sidewalk and intersection and how wide it is and how far off it is from the road itself and the how long do I have to cross around the intersection mm-hmm. to get to the other side? What are the lights like? What is the lighting like? Mm-hmm. Am I feeling safe in my body as just an individual, as a woman, as a trans non-binary? person as a anybody. Mm -hmm. Do I feel safe? Do I feel comfortable? Can I get there with dignity? That like is a huge reason to me why it is really difficult for a lot of people to just kind of fall into a practice where this is an everyday thing and not something you have to really over plan, overthink about. If you do have sidewalks, you might be like blocks and miles away from a destination, depending on where you live. Sure. Or the grid, the way it's set up is like, I'm just going to walk and it's not interesting to me Mm -hmm. to walk and look at cars and driveways for Mm -hmm. an hour before I get to the groceries. You know, whatever the reasons are, there's so many layers in the infrastructure space that I think could really, really, really deepen, deepen our understanding and connection to the benefits, but make it easier for us to fall into them. Yeah. And you've done so much work with especially local Denver city planners, uh, engineers in that space. You would actually guide them on walking tours to show them. And many of whom would say, holy shit, I didn't know. Yes. (laughs) And that's fascinating to me. We're in an office, we're building these things, we're designing it, but you never actually sampled your product. I'm 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 here to say. That's unbelievable. (laughs) It was one of the biggest eye-opening, heart-opening, gut-opening realities that would be so repetitive and consistent when I would host these events. That's what I was, and with others, co-creating with Walk to Connect for many years, hosting events for social connection, hosting events just alongside so many people across a wide variety of issues and themes, tree connecting, racial justice healing, moving and connecting and learning about the local parks that are near us, intergenerational walks, walks that focus on disability and connection through disability. We would do so many events. It plants seeds of, oh, I can, the park's only this far away. I had no idea. Oh, it's so much easier. It feels so much faster when I'm moving with somebody. So all those things would connect. A big part of that work was hosting events with, as you said, planners and engineers to also connect them to community residents, but then to their own infrastructure. And it was through those events and the consistency of, to your point, uh, I've never ridden the bus before. Oh my God. I've been an engineer on this project for 20 years and this is my first time walking on the road. All the things that I would hear along yeah. the way. And it was always so humbling and enlightening. There was a humility that 
that was important because of the systems that maybe were set up to not make it easy for that engineer to do that, hoping to be the change. That's what steered the discernment around the pedestrian dignity project. Sure. I was like, ah, okay. There's, there's a need here. There's a gap. <laughs> People aren't surviving. <laughs> yeah. People specifically on roads, when we think about class and race and how it integrates into transportation systems related to redlining and ownership and public housing and the transit routes that are the most frequent people aren't surviving and there are certain people who aren't surviving more than others. And that is, that's important information. There's urgency around this. And so pedestrian dignity was a product of those events where people would have these kind of awakening experiences who are in positions of influence and power and managing budgets and then linking those to these very specific corridors. Yeah. (laughs) And it's probably, I would imagine that you weren't aiming to do that, right? You're talking, especially as you started, for you, the start of your walk was, I need to figure some stuff out and I need to calibrate myself. And now here we are 14 years later and it's like, oh no, I realized in doing this, these branches that opened up is that there's a need here. I am uniquely situated to help bring a voice to this. And and that's got to be such an incredible feeling to see, again, see it all kind of come together and be like, nope, that happened for a reason. I learned these things. I'm now able to your point, kind of fill that very narrow gap of talking about the benefits of the physical and mental and emotional benefits of walking with these real needs for pedestrian dignity. What a cool deal. (laughs) It, it is a lot of, it's a lot of experimenting. It's heavy work too. I I mean, it, to go out on these roads like Colorado Boulevard and federal and Denver, I think about even the history of MSU, the road runner, mm-hmm. the roots of jaywalking and all the things. There's there's a grief every time in so many ways. It's like there's the tension around the benefit and the joy and the awe is so important for me to stay in the justice work too, because it makes it'll make me shake with not just I call it intuitive unrest. It's like, oh, there is so much pain mm-hmm. at this bus stop when it is snowing and there are elders holding grocery bags in the snow, waiting 45 minutes or over an hour, shivering in such a preventable scenario. It is really affirming and grounding to be doing this work. And it's like, whoo, I got to constantly check on my own health. And sure. I need to keep walking, you know, to kind of let some of the things go and keep listening and experimenting. I'm really grateful. And it's heavy work. To, it is. I, <laughs> to I think about it. the empathy that comes with having to take on some sort of sense of understanding the yeah. struggles that are in front of people and then trying to manifest that into, okay, let's find a solution. And right. it's not always possible. And it's it's a slow move, right? Yeah. As I'm sure you can attest. It's not like you had one tour and said, look, this sidewalk just falls off and there's nowhere for someone to go. And they're like, oh, okay, we'll fix that. Like, it's not how public government absolutely works. Absolutely not. You are right. right. <laughs> so it's, I think about that as I've kind of looked through and taken a look at the, the projects you've done and the focus that you've had in that. I mean, your connections with people people and the empathy that you're able to bring to the table in these spaces and your genuine curiosity to understand that is informing your activism is is unbelievable. I always want to know, is that something that you are like, yep, I got it. I've always felt I see something and I'm like, yep, we should do something or I, I see you. Or did you have to learn that along the way? Oh, I love that question. Definitely learned it along the way. Yeah. So pre the cross country walk, I was mostly pretty introverted, especially when I was a young kid. I was very introverted. I only had a couple friends up until mid high school. Then I started sports. And because of some of the things I was trying to fit into, you know, I had community. You know, when I lived in California, I was pretty social, but on a surface, more on a, I, I don't want to say surface. That's not the right way of saying it. It just, it, it wasn't fully aligned. It no. was just, these were, these were peers. We a little bit more things. transactional, just, maybe. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. We did things together. Yeah. Good friends, good people. But it wasn't until like recalibrating everything where I was just determined because of how hard it got prior to the walk. I was like, okay, if I'm going to recalibrate and live again in a way, then this, this all has to be aligned. Like I want to feel aligned. It's always imperfect, (laughs) but like I want to tap into alignment as much as I can. So it was on that cross country walk where I was like, can I trust people mm-hmm. if I'm honest about all the things I feel on the inside? If yeah. I'm honest about my sexual orientation and my sensitivity and the things that make me feel angry or sad, and if I show that or put it out there, can I trust people, mm-hmm. move with people, interact with people, be in relationship to people? And so I stayed with 120, or yeah, yeah, 120 strangers. Yeah. That's incredible. You know, and had 
hundreds and hundreds of people. It felt like hundreds and hundreds. Yeah. I don't know if it was that many, but like a lot of people who joined me for days, weeks. I'm uh, picturing just Forrest Gump in the I, desert, you know? It literally <laughs> was like that. Yeah. Yeah. And these are people from all different backgrounds, any like affiliation, however someone would describe themselves politically, religiously, race, background, whatever. All these different people would join me. A lot of these labels and layers would fall away in our movement and we'd find common ground. And so that was one of the biggest lessons, which is why Walk to Connect was the thing that was like, this is this there's something is, here. There's something here. Yeah. And then and then it was just affirmed and affirmed and affirmed in Walk to Connect. Yeah. And I think about how uncomfortable that must have been to be in a space where it's like, sure, you got a 90 pound pack, you've got a tent, I'm sure you've got all of those things. But then to be in the space and be like, okay, someone's now approached me and said, sure, come and stay in my home. Right. The narrative that's out there now is like, nope, say no, especially as a child of the 80s. It's like, <laughs> say no to strangers. Nope, walk yes. away. Yes. Like, yes. And, and you have to sit there and ask yourself all of those questions. Yes. Can I I trust people. What do I tell them? Am I just coming in saying thank you, taking a shower, sleeping, leaving? And that has to happen in split seconds. And yeah. what a what a challenge at that moment to say, I'm making a genuinely what has turned out to be a life decision for you yes. that has realigned your core values and what you look at in people in a split second when someone says, hey, what are you doing? Do you need a place to stay? Yes. That's incredible. And to have those kinds of experiences over and over and over all across the US. I mean, to have day three, and this is one of the first stories in the book, you know, to have a woman literally run out from her backyard in the rain through the woods, through like thick, dense forest. Yeah. I'm walking on a small highway with a wolf. I mean, husky, <laughs> right, right, right. but a wolf. Yeah. I'm 6'4". I'm walking on the median. It's not like a sidewalk with trees and benches. It's a median of a highway. And she literally runs up to me, saw my sign, because I had a big old sign that said Kiva Walk at the time. And you would go to the website. You'd have a funky website. <laughs> but like, sure. You know, you see 2010. Our, yeah, I mean, 2010. it was what it was. Y'all, let's be real. <laughs> but like, she saw the site, she ran, and she's like, oh my God. And she ran out. And then within 10 minutes of moving with us, as it's pouring rain, she asked us if we wanted to stay. It's incredible. I, you know, and that was like, what I felt all all the things on the inside start well, to turn. It gives you that faith back it in does. humanity. And I think it's exactly yeah. what you talked about in terms of when these hundreds of people would join you and we're breaking down racial barriers and yes. age barriers. We come to that pivotal thing that I believe very truthfully exists, that we all just want a sense of belonging. Yes. And unfortunately, as we have become more of a global world and and we have access to so much information, we're always looking for a very specific thing like, oh, they're the same as me in this, so we're going to belong in this space. And we right. create an affinity that maybe isn't at the core of who we are. When we can shed all of that BS, then we get to the fact that it's like, you're a human. Totally. I'm a human. I breathe air. You breathe air. Let's find our affinity, our community, our belongingness. And it sounds like that was a true enlightening moment for you in that. And I wish that we could have more of those as humans to remember like, no, we're all the same. And especially now with all the discourse that happens, yep. even from a political side, we are clinging on to certain identities that, oh, well, I think this and you think that. And it's like, but those are, those are manufactured. Yeah. <laughs> we're humans. Yeah. And you had 242 days and 120 people to remind you of that. That's right. I talk about it a lot in like the frames, simple frames, but not simple, depending on our story and our lived experience, but like the, the mind brain, the heart brain and the body brain. And I think the heart brain, I share a lot of this related to pedestrian dignity work. So when I'm hosting these events with engineers or planners even, and residents, you know, I'm, I'm planting this really in the introduction. Like I invite all of us to the best that we can to move from our mind brain, mm -hmm. the measuring of sidewalks, or even a resident expecting or demanding from your agencies. I mean, there's a little bit of that. I'm like, we're, we're going to do a lot of that. Yeah, so, sure. so do that. It's going to happen. But lean <laughs> yeah. into this place of empathy around when we're moving together, that we're in our heart brain, listening to these stories of residents that we're observing families and communities crossing 14th and federal across from the DOT to human services and mental health centers and how unsafe it is that we're observing real people navigating really unsafe intersections without a choice. And then the third, this body brain, how does it feel in your own body mm -hmm. to move with this other person who's sharing their story with you? They're breathing, they're existing kind of, I mean, to your point, mm -hmm. like they are a living, breathing, imperfect story, just like you are. And 
the body just absorbs these shared experiences in ways that are so profound. And I think so many people relate to that. You're in a situation and you're hearing a story brings you into the heart. Then you're maybe connecting at a deeper level with whoever shared that story. And you're like, Oh my gosh, now my body feels connected to you in some kind of way. There's energy and communication between our stomachs <laughs> yeah. that communicate that we all need food and we need each other. So I think walking or moving with each other just amplifies sure. that. Something that, again, I just, that we're made to be doing. That's what I'm always saying, too. This isn't a fad. This is a new app. I'm not trying to sell you some. It's a new thing called yogging. Yogging? <laughs> That's what I feel like. Have you heard about MSU Denver's LGBTQ alumni network? We invite all alumni who identify as LGBTQ to join the network and participate in various social, educational, and community events throughout the year. The network aims to provide an opportunity for connection and networking with fellow alumni and current students and to build a sense of community and shared values. This episode is brought to you by Parrots. This episode is brought to you by Parrots. that just pisses you off. You hate those signs. <laughs> Walking on over to that neighbor saying, hey, can we just walk some stuff out? You can pre-facilitate it. You can be like, hey, I might say some things and I'm going to invite you to say some things and we might not agree, but can we at least say the things we might want to say, knowing that we're on this imperfect journey and then we'll kind of unpack it to the best we can for the next 30 minutes. Also, it like, makes it a lot harder to hit someone when you're walking, right? Yes. You know, you're not throwing yes. fists as you're walking. So I'm just brilliant. <laughs> it's like we're constantly in motion. We're never meant to be static. We're never meant to be stuck. Our blood is always flowing. We're always breathing. We are dynamic mm -hmm. beings. And so how, how can we not honor that more as we think about evolving, you know, into new ways of thinking, new ways of relating. And it's so important yeah. and, and, and so simple and not simple and back to infrastructure, <laughs> right. but not really, right. but, it, but also, <laughs> but also, yes. So if you're listening infrastructure, it's all of it. Yeah. Uh, that's incredible. One of my fa favorite Favorite teachers, authors, and quotes from her book, Emergent Strategy, uh, Adrienne Marie Brown, a, an incredible black queer woman, just writes this incredible book around emergence. My favorite quote that I use all the time, just informing my own practice, informing just any, is moving at the speed of trust. Hmm. That's wonderful. Moving at the speed of trust. So yeah, I mean, we need everybody's unique pace, unique algorithm, unique gifts without any measurement of, are they loud enough? Are they angry enough? Are they uh, honest enough? You know, I think about people who spend so much time curating little free libraries. Mm -hmm. I think about so many people who do public art and murals and nobody ever knows, right? The people who just spend time. I have a, another friend of mine who does some work with pedestrian dignity, who's now working for the city of Denver, makes just in his like sort of not really garage, makes benches made from wood that he finds in alleys and puts benches uh, at bus stops. Yeah. And he just drops them off all over the place. As we tap into our own dignity, you know, this is one of the big lessons for me through that walk is I tapped into my own sense of like imperfect self-love, dignity, whatever you want to call it. Definitely messy. Y'all, I get, <laughs> I fumble in the air all the time. Don't even play. I need to walk. It gets, I get too angry. I get too self-critical. It happens. But the medicine of walking has been my main balm to return to a place of, okay, I have what it takes. Yeah. I, I actually love who I am and who I'm becoming. No matter your field, no matter your interests, like how are we leaning into that space in our own way feels really important in these times. Well, and it's really hard questions you have to ask mm, yourself. Hard. And not everybody is going to walk across the country to to give yeah. themselves and afford themselves the time to do that, right? right? But it is hard questions. And I think as I was reading more about you, we share a lot of similarities, not just being born in 1982, <laughs> but the faith base too that you've mm -hmm. come from and then the realization of that is informing so much of who I am feeling as though I need to be perceived as and what I need to project. And then these closeted feelings that are associated with, you know, your, your identity. It's very similar about 
my undergraduate degrees in religion, went to school to be a pastor. Had, okay. And it hit me over the head when I was 19 years old that I was a lesbian. And I was like, okay. Hmm. And it changes your entire view on things, not to mention just the internal things that are happening. And I was very, very fortunate and still am to have an incredible family system, even incredible in community that I grew up in and was around that I, I perceived and I had created worst case scenarios for me, what was going to happen when this young Christian woman that had planned to be a pastor that works in an all of these churches and does all these things comes out as gay in, you know, 2001. Yeah. I And those are real stories for other people. I was very blessed that it wasn't mine. My family gave two shits about it. My mom was like, finally, thanks. I've known since you were 13. I was like, well, that could have been really great information to pass along <laughs> at 13. That would have been really helpful, yeah. you know. But it is such an interesting piece that when those are the questions – that we have to ask. I think for you and I in that space specifically, like we knew a lot of those things. So we knew the questions we didn't want to ask. Mm-hmm. But there's a ton of our community and our friends and people out there that what are those questions? I don't even know what I need to ask to figure out, am I feeling safe in myself oh. so that my earth can be safe? That's right. right? Yeah. And that is what breaks my heart is that I'm like, at least for me, they were right in front of my face. Yeah. It was it was a conflict, a perceived conflict between my faith and my sexuality. Yeah. That was the question that I didn't want to ask, so I didn't ask it for years. Yeah. Right? But for many of us, it's a questions we don't even know. That's right. That's right. I think one of the things that – and thank you for sharing mm-hmm. that yeah. because that – connection between us. Yeah. It offers so much just in the questions you're asking and how we're connecting here. There's a lot to relate. There is a lot. (laughs) And I really, really honor that. And we could talk about that for a long time. If we could prioritize this idea of everyone feeling as though they're safe in those very desperate times, it would be so much easier. And I I don't know how we do that, but if we could solve that today, Uh, that'd be great. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But there's so many outside factors too. Again, I always say like I was so blessed with the parents and the siblings and the family that I have that nobody batted an eye, but that could have been a very unsafe experience for me had that not been the case. And we hear that all the time. So then how do you look at somebody and say, no, do it because it's the truth that needs to happen and be who you are, but know that you are actually opening yourself up to some very potentially unsafe situations. That's exactly right. It's terrifying. It is. And this is a practice that I had to learn because I very much didn't feel safe in so many ways. Hence the reason of restarting and trying to seek some of that on this long walk. And you know, just post doing exactly what you just described at MSU Denver when mm-hmm. I got my degree prior to the walk. I'm like, I, I, I don't know what I'm doing and I don't fit into the common degree path. So sure. grateful, so grateful for the IDP, the mm-hmm. independent degree program here and just experiment and get permission from department heads to sign off on this kind of idea of design and entrepreneurship, which was the name of the degree. Yeah. And <laughs> I don't know where this is going to go, but it's a step. It's something I'm trying. There's another practice in the book called nature sees me. The natural world sees me Mm. that, that there is a relationship here, you know, learning more about the science of trees, the chemicals that trees emit, the nerdiness of the fungi and the roots. I'm like, Ooh, this is juicy stuff because it affirms how I often most of the time feel (laughs) de-stressed when I'm near big mature mother trees who've been there for 250 years, or I'm near the flowing Creek, or I'm listening to the brook in the mountains, or I'm sitting on the rock, feeling the soil in the garden, like I'm de-stressing, you know, feeling a sense of family and safety in the natural world. Even if it's a tree growing through a city sidewalk, those little kind of glimpses of medicine that the family can be bigger than just the human one can bring us a little closer to that. Yeah. This is fascinating. (laughs) So you've seen a bunch of places, obviously, you've been all around. You've literally walked through 14 states. Why Denver? Why is this your home base? What is it about Colorado specifically in our our city that you look at as home as your home base? Yeah, great question. When my parents split when I was young, my dad had always stayed here in Denver. Um, So I moved with my mom and stepfather all over the country, mostly. You know, as you shared at the beginning, he... Mm -hmm moved around via football, was a football player, was traded three times. He has three Super Bowl rings. Y'all talk about some good trades. <laughs> I look at my dad's I rings. I need that job. I, I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah. 
when he and my mom split, mm-hmm. a lot of things changed. That was also around the time that he retired from football. And so he went through his own transition journey post the retirement and the divorce. And um, But he had always stayed in Denver and he got more and more involved in local stuff, city stuff, nonprofit stuff. He was one of the lead directors for Parks and Recreation for a time being. He was... Um, as he transitioned, he was involved in a lot of inner city youth work. And he started this amazing thing called The Spot in downtown Denver. And so growing up, you know, I'd be living in West Virginia or in Wisconsin or in different parts in Tennessee. And in the summers or in the holidays, we'd visit dad at The Spot, which meant we were sleeping in the basement of The Spot, serving flipping burgers. And by the way, The Spot was a drop-in youth, mostly young people who are experiencing homelessness, who are in transition, people who are involved in different gangs. The Spot was at 21st and Stout, and it was right on the Blood and Crip line. And so you would have a lot of activity at The Spot. It would it had rollerblading. You could get your GED there. It had little old school Mac computers for like, you know, really basic graphic the design. Apple LC2. Apple, yeah. yes. It was so cool. So hit back then. And you had graphic design classes, you had the most epic breakdancing floors imaginable. The breakdancers were off the charts. That was in the basement. You had sound studios. It was literally was an award-winning drop-in youth center open till about 3 or 4 a.m. for young people. Mm -hmm. It was incredible. As a kid in the summers and in the winter, my sister and I would go from kind of odd suburbs driving everywhere, disconnected in a lot of ways, to like dropped in urban downtown gang youth center living in the basement. And we loved it. Yeah. Meaning like we loved the connections we made, meaning that we we would be often on burger flipping duty with the grill literally on the sidewalk. So anyway, I say all that, just there's a lot of urban Denver history with my dad that kept us coming back. And then by the time I was 16 and I had the choice to move, I moved with my sister who followed. We moved in with my dad and then we went to Lakewood High School, okay. graduated here. And then, you know, from there, that's when I did the whole beach volleyball thing. I went to UNC for the mm-hmm. for the basketball, yeah. but the real story is, I mean. Two Australian community college they, kids. Okay. I know. So I, did know. My, I did my deep dive. Yeah, I'm a so, great sleuth <clears throat> slash stalker. Yeah. So I think, so Denver for me is just, it, I have a lot of family here yeah. over the years. My sister, she lives now in Colorado Springs. Mm-hmm. So the threads of community are, have kept me, have kept me here, I, but very nomadic at heart. Yeah. I need, I, I know I'm throwing out walking practices mm, all the time. Please. So I hope, <laughs> I hope this is helpful, but like. One of the practices that I encourage, this is also in the book, in the chapter, Walking is Presence. I think that's a chapter. Maybe it's Creative Wonder. I'm not sure, but it's in there. And it's titled Spirals and Colors. Take an invitation out on your walk, if it's just 20, 30 minutes, and just notice where nature spirals, Mm -hmm. like what seeds are spiraling in their own unique pattern and way, what branches are twisting up and back and around and turning so sharp and now they're facing you or what branches had to break. And so that you could grow new branches a little bit higher to get more nourishment, like just honor that we're all just on a million different paths, but sharing a lot of the same soil. And it's like, ah, it's just so beautiful. And there's so many good reminders. And And I've never, I've never thought about (laughs) that. Everybody walk a little more, look for the spirals. But it's true. Like, like I haven't thought about it in this context, but when you think about branches of a tree, right, there's reasons that they take those sharp turns. There we go. Right. Like just because of, it's not mm -hmm, like, oh, that's just how I grew. Right. Like, no, it's because they, there was this storm and this happened in the storm and the wind came in this way. And so it knocked this branch down or, Hey, this branch, grew too close to this one. So now it had to find a new way to do this. So it did this, right? I've never thought about this, but that is no different than the way that we live our lives. And so yes, walking in trees, that's this podcast. (laughs) Everything we need to know, move your body and look at how nature has adapted because it's been here longer than us and it'll be here longer than us. Mother trees be looking at us like, huh? Like, oh, you haven't figured it out yet. Uh, The octopus that's been here millions of years surpassing what, how many... (laughs) complete like earth annihilation is like looking is like, huh? I figured it out. I figured it out without a vertebrae. (laughs) I, you know, God, there's just endless mystery. There's so much to be learned by just stopping to take in and and be willing again to ask questions that may not have answers. You know, you're describing the healing and the slowing down because there's this different relationship to time. There's the jarring experiences of now, oh my gosh, I'm now walking and experiencing my neighborhood this way for the first time. But, you know, and so this is where like 
to your point of translation. Mm -hmm. So as an, as a walking artist, this is exact, like mm -hmm. I'm trying to translate constantly yeah. through poetry and through pen work and through hosting events, creating routes. You know, we re recently co-hosted a route um, with my dear friend, Navid Heydari, who is an amazing somatic teacher, but we like, we co-hosted an event. We called it medicine for the masculine. And mm -hmm. it was an, it's an 18 mile walk from golden to Denver. It's a lot. It's, I mean, I, I host this golden to Denver walk probably once or twice a year is kind of a broader invitation. People can do segments of it. <laughs> you know, this isn't about like trying to be some, uh, I'm a 18 mile walker. No, we're not worried about that. But like, it's an invitation to just really give yourself a whole day or as much as you can to moving. And then as an artist, I'm translating all of yep. this through movement. And so we had, this was medicine for the masculine and it was open to men and male identifying beings. We had 12 people. Oh my gosh. I mean, we just had opportunities for play. We had intentional portions where we had everyone move in silence. We had intentional prompts that they would take with them and they're moving all day. Lots of, you know, edges and talking about pedestrian dignity at certain intersections. But that to me is, it's a social canvas in a way around translating these benefits, all the things. I would imagine there's this like slight tension between being frustrated when someone finally has that aha moment, being like, right, I've been saying this, I've been the, saying whole this time. the whole time, but then also, Where have you been? right, exactly. But then also this like, okay, <laughs> yes, I did my is. job. And so it's this 100%. constant living in this tension of like, just listen and you would have known, uh, but also thanks for listening. That's right. <laughs> you know, it's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Ruby with a question in the back. Yes. Actually, given your extensive experience in walking in urban environments and connection with nature, I'm wondering if you see any intersections between sidewalk equity and the homelessness epidemic in Denver, particularly. Mm -hmm. And do you need me to repeat the question or are you? I'm on. Mm -hmm. Hot. Oh, I'm hot. <laughs> OK, thank you. Did, OK. <laughs> I'm hot. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yes. Oh my gosh. Constant. So many intersections between people who are homeless, experiencing homelessness in transition out in the world, moving with their bodies, whether on foot or on a wheelchair, people are sleeping at benches at bus stops under shelters because there's no other place. Like there's, we don't have great social support systems to hold and catch so many people who fall or find themselves in the gaps of so many. I mean, you just add, you can stack on all the reasons why you follow the stories of, of money. You follow the stories of uh, land ownership. You follow the stories of any kind of trauma or abuse or mental health. You follow the stories of income and money and just the way we consume things and the challenge and tension around consumption. And like, so the social support just as a broader tension of accountability, I, I think the relationship between the fact that we don't have public places, we don't have public restrooms, our transit stations, all of them don't have public restrooms. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we, we don't have a sidewalk network that is accountable to mobility across regions and districts. It's up to property owners and it's every half block. So your the pedestrian experiences change every half block. A lot of people on powered scooters are on the roads because of whether they don't have a sidewalk for this block or the snow plows push it up over the sidewalk, bus frequency, transit as something that is, that is seen as worthy for community connection, for not driving every single trip, for public health. Transit has all these negative associations and some of them very real. Like people a lot of times legitimately feel unsafe on transit because of the tensions of this social support scene. <laughs> and so I just, I don't pretend to have the answers, but it's, it integrates all the time because it is an, it's an indicator for all of us as I think residents who can lean more into civic engagement and start like replacing some of the defaults, just all those things are rooms for more, um, more empathy, more humility, and more understanding of how all these different things intersect, like how not having a safe and accessible uh, pedestrian network across regions like we do for cars. Like we move cars across complex regions and districts. And so we should be able to do that with walking and using a wheelchair. And we should have every bus stop should have a bus shelter and benches that people can lay down on if they need to. And, and we should have frequent transit. That's every five, 10, 15 minutes, especially in 
in cold weather. I mean, these are like, so these basic dignity elements to me will increase the, the healthy transition. So it's a long uh, answer. I wouldn't say it's an answer. It's just a long response reflection to your question. It's an important one. Like what are the different layers? It's not just, Oh, find, find a place for these people to go. What are the social systems that dignify someone's existence and worthiness to have pathways to get to a place where they feel healthy and connected and back to and your safe. and safe mm-hmm. and belonging, mm-hmm. a sense yep. of belonging. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, so you're going to be joining us at the Roadrunners Book Fair, second year you've done this. So the Roadrunners Book Fair, the Alumni Association started a couple years ago. We found out as we met with our alums and we've gotten to know them, we have a lot of artists. Yep. We have a lot of authors. We have a lot of people that are doing exactly what you and I have been talking about. And so we created a space for them to build their community, kind of showcase and have the opportunity to talk about their passions, their areas. And so it's been super exciting and fun uh, to offer that. But that is this afternoon and you're going to be there again. Yay! That's super, super <laughs> exciting. One of the things I do since we're talking about that in your book, I have two thoughts. One, uh, you talk about inviting readers to become awakened activists. I just love that. It's not really a question. I think we talked about activism in the way that it looks differently for people. And I think just modifying that adjective by saying, you know, awakened mm. is so incredible because that can be from a dead slumber to Absolutely. whatever it is, uh, or just that step that just yeah. wakens that little muscle or that little thing, that twinge to say, let's figure out that. So yes. I wanted to say that's very thoughtful and great. Thank My you. other question about this, I know you've done an audiobook for this. Did you record it yourself? I did. Because I've been sitting ah. here obviously chatting with you being like, <laughs> your voice is so soothing oh, that God. I'm like, I might just have to listen to that just so I can listen to you talk. <laughs> You totally should. I know. Um, but I do. I think you've got a great voice. And I think voice acting should be somewhere on your list of things to do. <laughs> Thank you. Um, which is great. But okay. So we wrap up all of these interviews with the same three questions, okay. our rapid fire questions to kind of get a sense of, again, this idea of we love hearing your story. We've talked about your zigzaggy path. We talked about how important the IDP was for you here and being mm-hmm. able to bring things together. So first question is, what is your favorite MSU Denver memory? Mm. That's a great question. Oh, there's so many. I, I think there's two. That's um, fine. We'll allow can two. I do two. We'll allow okay. Two. So the first is the moment season when I was, um, this was in 2008, when I was what you described earlier, just kind of going through the motions, trying it on. I don't know what, where this is going to take me, but I'm taking my first steps, throwing these classes together. I'm here and I'm going to try. At the same time, I was just, I was still, I was craving an experience as I shared this long, long experience, whatever it, whatever it was going to be. I didn't know what it was going to be. And I was heading into class, towards class, and I saw a sign outside the Auraria Library. It was a 20-cent book sale. And I stumbled into that book sale and Walk Across America by Peter Jenkins, this roughly old book was staring right back at me. And I was like, oh my God, what is this book? What does that even mean to walk across? I don't even know what that means. So I'm like, I grabbed this Literally, book. figuratively, what are we talking about? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm just like, what is this? It's 20 cents. I'm like, everything else is disappearing in my mind and nothing was more important than this little book. And then I sat on, at the time, I don't, I haven't seen the chairs in the library, but they, they were a bit <laughs> sticky <laughs> at the time. There was a sticky chair in the library, but it was far enough away from everybody. And I sat on this sticky chair and I read this book. And so this may, I'm not necessarily encouraging that y'all skip your classes, (laughs) (laughs) but I didn't go to class that whole evening, read that book until the library closed, immediately got on the bus, reading it on the bus was up all night. I mean, there's a whole story connected to this book Mm -hmm. and how it like gave me a lot of clarity. So that experience of being in school, I think because school in and of itself was opening my mind and allowing me to be curious. Yeah. The curiosity was expanding as I was going to really thoughtful classes with really thoughtful teachers through IDP, like classes that I was excited to go to and explore that I felt energized to get up in the morning and go to. And so my curiosity had room to breathe. And then I stumble across a book. I have like, I'm being encouraged by everything around at a campus to to be curious. Mm -hmm. And I just, I gave myself to it. So that's the first. The second, I have in the last three or four years, I've returned to my pen art. So I'm a, a pen and ink artist, stippling really detailed, smaller pen pieces. And one of my favorite classes taught by, taught by Kelly 
in the communication arts, you know, just was a topography class. And we're just, we're sitting there for hours and we're drawing detailed type faces. I mean, hours, just drawing these fine lines. Oh, I was so happy. This makes me so happy. I, the weight of the world, the fears, the aches. I've, I could just draw in detail these little pictures and stories with my pen. This will make me happy. And so it's so beautiful to remember how happy I was in that class and to know now that a third of my income is my pen and ink artwork. <laughs> <laughs> That's so rad. Uh, and yeah, I still say rad. Uh, yes, never rad stopped. Great. Um, <laughs> second question What does it mean to you to be a roadrunner? <laughs> a roadrunner. <laughs> So I think I'm always, always talking very highly of MSU Denver because of just the the mix of people and the mix of stories. For me, it means all of our stories at all of our at all of our intersections belong here. Like it, and I felt that in every class. Yeah. Uh, age, race, backgrounds, um, just having doubts, maybe really knowing what you want to do. All those intersections could belong in a classroom in an intersection that maybe you don't really know which path or which way, like you're just kind of discerning, you know, just wanting some nurtured curiosity, you know, like I'm just like the MSU Denver mm-hmm. has got the capacity and the history and the energetic commitment to nurturing people at a wide variety. What, what is it? Range to hold capacity for a wide range of, of intersections and life stories. And I, I feel that here every time I come back and when I, when I experienced it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I love it. And I think it's, I'd even say it's even more that it's not just to hold a space for that, but it's that it's embraced and it's actually celebrated. That's right. Right. Yeah. That's so incredible. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And this one may be a little predictable because I think I might know your answer, but (laughs) if you could put a billboard anywhere on campus with a piece of advice for students to see. What would it say? <laughs> well, walk. <laughs> Slow down. <laughs> Slow down. Yeah. yeah, it would be. It'd be a big, spacious, glowy, like a rainbow unicorn dancing. Bedazzled. On top of it. Yeah. A little bedazzled. <laughs> <laughs> with some trees underneath. Got to have the trees. Maybe with some winding paths that look a little different, and just lots of words that speak to the benefits. And then walk is just kind of glowing. Mm-hmm. Maybe it glimmers. You know how I know you're an artist? You're the first person that we've asked on this that has painted a picture of what it is and not just been like, put your head down and do the work or, you know, enjoy (laughs) it. Take a break. You know, like you painted painted it for you. So we do know know that Andy or David is going to actually build that. They will design that for you and that'll be featured for you. Thank you. (laughs) No. That's perfect. Uh, Jonathan, this was awesome. I'm so glad. I could have spent two more hours just chatting with you. Oh, likewise. This has been incredible. I appreciate your willingness to talk about so much of your life. Um, uh, Thank you for allowing me to do this same and i'm so excited for our our listeners to hear a little bit more about not only the work you're doing but hopefully taking in a lot of those walking lessons and little uh, strategies that can help them slow down their lives and maybe uh, all together we can build a better world mm, beautiful honored yeah. thank you so much awesome this was rad yes this was so good <laughs> Thank you for joining us for another episode of Bird Talk, special accommodation provided by University Advancement. Thank you to Ruby Matheny, Brandy Wrightout, production provided by David Sharman, and I'm your host, Jamie Hurst. Keep running, roadies. <laughs> <laughs>